0: of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned before, the sermon text is from Mark chapter 13. I'll direct you to page 11 in your service folders if you'd like to follow along throughout the sermon. Rather than reading the whole whole section here, I'll just read one verse to remind you of that. Verse 11 says, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. My very first year at the seminary, so that was about two years ago, I worked at at a factory, and it was kind of a dangerous place to work. You had to make sure that you followed all of the rules and and all the procedures, because people did get injured there. And I worked with a friend of mine, and he turned to me one day, and he said, Paul, you got to watch out. I've got this, I've got a disease that's going to hinder my work here a little bit. Okay, it seems like a pretty big deal. He said, it's, it's affected my schoolwork the past few years. It's even affected if, if I feel like I'm right to, to be a pastor, if I should really be at the seminary anymore. And I said, okay, well, well, what do I need to watch out for? And he goes, well, sometimes my body doctors, they've done a bunch of different tests, and they figured out what I'm infected with. Uh, He said to me, he said, I I have terrible anxiety. Anxiety can do that to people, can't it? I don't know if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever had a panic attack, uh, or maybe if you've just ever been so worried about the future, so unsure about where your life is going to go, so unsure about where your spiritual life is going to go, that paralyzed with anxiety. In the lesson for today, we read about how the disciples had a lot of reason to be anxious. They had all these things that were going to happen to them in the future that weren't very good. They had a lot of reason to be paralyzed with anxiety. And yet, Jesus tells them, he says, don't be alarmed. Don't worry. Jesus says, deceivers will come and Holy Spirit will speak for you. The disciples and Jesus were sitting on the Mount of Olives when they were having this conversation. If you can kind of have a, a picture of, of the map of Jerusalem in your head, uh, the city's over here, and about a thirty-minute walk away is the Mount of Olives. Jesus and his disciples would go there a lot. And they sat on, they found a nice place to sit on that hill, and they looked out at this magnificent city. And I'm sure when the disciples looked at that city, the the outlines of the massive stones that built the buildings, I bet the outlines of those stones shone brightest in their eyes. Because Jesus had just said to them just a few minutes earlier, he said, do you see these massive stones? Not a single one of them is going to lie on top of each other. They will all be toppled to the ground be great danger and great destruction. The four of Jesus' disciples had been thinking about these words for a little while, so, so as their anxiety kind of rose within them when they were thinking about this, they scooted a little bit closer to Jesus on that mountain and they asked him, they said this, when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? Jesus knew that And so he answered what he could. And that's where we get into the text we have today, his answer to that question. He said in verse 7 and 8, he said, watch for wars and rumors of wars. Watch for for earthquakes and famines. But know that this is only the beginning. Just like when a woman is in labor and, and the pains get closer and closer together as the baby's about to come, that's how it's going to be at the end of the world. More and more pain." More and more destruction, closer and closer to the end. You can kind of see the disciples' anxiety rising a little bit when they heard these words, can't you? And Jesus gave them one more sign. He said, a deceiver is going to come into this world. Many deceivers will come into this world. They're going to come in my name. They're going to springboard their ministries off of my ministry, and they're going to say that they are the Christ. To watch that you aren't deceived. If a deceiver does his job well, then the victim never even detects the deception. Right? Uh, to maybe simplify that a little bit, if you think of think of a magic show, if you've ever been to one, you're being deceived. Somebody is standing up there with some cards or, or or some type of contraption, and they do something that you can't believe. You're like, "Whoa, that was amazing!" But you don't see the deception. You don't actually detect it. Today we celebrate the Reformation, which happened 500 years ago. And the Reformation marks a split where the church had been deceived for a 1,000 years. And then the Reformation happened, and it started to kind of come back closer to the truth. So for that 1,000 years before the Reformation, the devil father of lies, as he's called in the Bible, deceived the church without them even knowing it. He deceived them so God's good news was no longer good, and God's free and faithful love was no longer free. Because he got the leaders of that church to preach things like like this, they said, well, if you need the forgiveness of sins, go ahead and buy it. We'll sign a little paper for you, and we'll say, there you go. Your cash is good for forgiveness. The leaders of that church said other things. They said, or let's say you've done something really bad. Let's say you murdered somebody. You could, go, uh, you could go to Turkey, and you can fight for us. You can go to war for the church. You can kill a bunch of people, and then we'll give you the forgiveness of sins. That's what the church was saying. That's the deception they were in. You can't make this stuff up. Really, Jesus' words here to the disciples when he said, Receivers will come. That rang true at the Reformation. What about today, though? We don't preach that type of stuff anymore. Thank goodness. But if you go and you walk 10 blocks in any direction, and if you draw a circle around that, 10 blocks from this, this point right here, you could find 13 churches within that radius. So you could go to 13 different churches on any given Sunday, and you could hear 13 different messages. And how do you know that which ones are Like, it seems like Satan has us at every corner. It seems like all of the, the cards are stacked against us, doesn't it? Like his deception is, is, is really going to affect you. You need to remember the truths of the Bible and remember really the biggest deception that ever occurred. Remember when Satan and, and his demons were deceived. Because it looked like when soldiers came and took your Savior and took your Jesus out of the Garden of Gethsemane, it looked like those soldiers had won. And when Jesus' enemies strung him up on the cross and they pierced his side, it looked like they had the upper hand. And when Jesus finally bowed his head and died, it looked like Satan had won. But Jesus descended into hell. We say that every Sunday, right? Jesus descended into hell. And what did he do there? He revealed the deception to the demons and the Satan. He he went down and he preached to them. And he said, I have won. I have beaten you all. I have deceived all of you into thinking you won, but really, I did it. And he did it all for you. He did it all for you so that you would know, intimately know, the forgiveness of So that you would know that when he died on that cross, it was not a big showing of of defeat, but it was a great victory. And he rose on the third day to prove that victory as true. So that you know that you have the absolute truth that what Jesus says is the truth. is by reading the Bible, is by seeing the words that God has contained in his word. And when you evaluate those words, and when you evaluate the words that you hear from a preacher, and when you see that they are in line with each other, when you see that they both clearly show Jesus Christ, then you know that you are in the presence of words ring true, that deceivers will come. But you can watch for them when you know God's word. But just that statement in and of itself does not reduce your anxiety one bit. Because now I've added on one more thing that you've got to do. I've added on and I've said, well, you might be anxious about the future and, and coming danger and deception, but now you've got to watch out for that deception. Now you've got to do don't think just the statement watch for deceivers really reduced a whole lot of the disciples anxiety either. In verse 9 of the text, Jesus said to them, be on your guard. You're going to be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. Just imagine the anxiety rising to the disciples after hearing that. It wouldn't matter how much they watched out They were still going to endure this terrible persecution, this this terrible torture. But Jesus didn't leave them without encouragement. In the second half of the text, he has two great encouraging statements. Uh, The first one, he says, it's included in verse 10. Jesus says, the gospel must be preached to all nations just like all these bad things were a sign of the end of the age, the famines, and the earthquakes, and the wars. And just like those things, the disciples had no control over, but they were going to happen. So also this was going to happen. It was going to happen that the gospel would be preached to all nations. The disciples didn't have to have any anxiety or worry about how it was going to get done or, or when it was going to get done or who was going to do it. God would God would make sure this preaching got done. So there you go. That's one thing that they can check off their list. A little bit less anxiety. But the big anxiety reducer, the big encouragement comes in in verse 11. Jesus said, do not worry beforehand about what to say. It's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. With all the dangers surrounding them and with all of the persecutions them, and, and with all the anxiety rising, the disciples did not need to worry about what, would, what they would say in those situations. They didn't need to be alarmed. The Spirit was speaking. It's a pretty abstract idea. I think. How, how does that look? How, did, how would it look for the Spirit to be speaking through the, the disciples? We get a kind of an explanation for that in uh, what we read for, for the second lesson. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. St. John writes, I saw another angel flying in midair. And he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. Here, St. John is talking about the end of the world. The same thing that Jesus was talking about in Mark chapter 13. And he says he sees this angel flying in midair. Here, this angel symbolizes any any pastor or teacher or, or any Christian Or any evangelist or any reformer who comes and preaches God's word. Those are the people that the Holy Spirit would speak through, right? And John tells us how that Spirit's going to speak. The Spirit is going to say the eternal gospel and proclaim it to the people on the earth. So the Holy Spirit would speak through the disciples, or speak through you, when the words of the eternal gospel come from your lips and go to Christians of this world, I don't think that any of us are going to stand before kings or governors or rulers and defend our faith and have to kind of like watch out of the corner of our eyes for the executioner who's got the whip in his hand, who's ready to don't cherish the truth of Jesus as you do. And I know that you cherish those relationships. And that you're going to have to stand before them, or maybe you already have. And you'll have to defend your faith, either in a big way or or just in a little way, by just a few things that you say. And as you stand there, I, I know that you're looking out of the corner of your eye and you see them holding your relationship with them in their hands, and they're ready to throw it away. They're ready to get rid of it, because they don't care so much about what you have to say. In those tough conversations, I I urge you to remember your baptism. Remember when when you were baptized and the the Holy Spirit put his absolute truth in your heart. Child of God and filled you with the Holy Spirit. And in those instances, I urge you also to remember any sermon that you've heard where God's word was spoken to you and the Holy Spirit filled you up with His word so that it could come out of your mouth. And I urge you to remember every time that you opened up your Bible and you saw the truth of Jesus Christ the forgiveness of sins plastered all over the pages, and you saw how good it was, and you saw that it was true. Because when you remember God's words, that's when the Holy Spirit is speaking through you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and reminding you of truth, and speaking to others, and spreading the truth. You have a lot of more joy, more security, more generosity, and more love in the relationship that you have with him than in any relationship you could possibly hold for on this earth. So when things go bad and when deceivers come, do not feel alarmed. But remember your Jesus. And remember that the Holy Spirit will speak through you. Amen. Please stand.